before we get started for this week's show, we'd like to thank you all for tuning in with a special shout out to those who support us on Patreon. From just $2 US a month as a patron, you can access extended podcasts and other bonus content. Keep an eye out at EmergingCricket.com and our various social channels and make sure to leave us a five-star rating and if you can, a review wherever you are listening to the show. This week we chat Guernsey hosting the Isle of Man, emerging players in various franchise leagues, minor league cricket in the USA, plus news from Nepal and all over the emerging world. Stick around. Hello and welcome again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Bezik and with me are the other two-thirds of the show. First, up in Brisbane, Tim Cutler. Tim, how are you? I'm very well, Daniel. Good to be here. Been a busy, busy week in the EC world. Lots going on, I was going to say online and on Sport FM, but you've already said that bit. But uh, no, lot, lots of cricket <laughs> going on, lots of European cricket series on on EC, on Facebook. Also good to, to show the Guernsey Ola Man, and then also we've just started EC Profiles. A lot going on, trying to cover every cricket-playing country outside of full membership. That includes the non-members as well. Uh, plenty of work going ahead, but a lot of people uh, on that project and, and getting things done, which is great to see. Glad to hear you're well, Timothy. Uh, as for the last third of the Emerging Cricket Podcast... <laughs> Nick Skinner, I believe uh, a bit of a tree change for you this week. How's things? Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, calling in from the lovely Blue Mountains. Uh, very cold, but I uh, got a lovely view of some a uh, lot of lot of trees and uh, some some sandstone cliffs. It's all, all very lovely. Good to hear. Keeping it within the state of New South Wales too. None of that pesky Victorian or Queensland <laughs> nonsense. Uh, some more incredibly niche Australian content to start an associate cricket emerging show. Okay, let's talk about the Guernsey Isle of Man series, which has been run and done, hosted by Guernsey. Uh, a great week there. Underage and senior level cricket from under 13s all the way up to the senior team. Uh, we saw a T20 series, uh, just the one T20 international out of the three, uh, with Guernsey winning that match and the series quite convincingly. Uh, a great stream put up by Guernsey. The ground looked great. Uh, college field, Nick, it, w- it was a good watch. And uh, Guernsey just a little bit too strong and, and getting over the line. Yeah, they've, they've had a fair bit more cricket over the recent years. You know, uh, Isle of Man have sort of, I think they've appeared in a couple of sub-regionals and, and some uh, inter-insular stuff, but not a whole lot. So it, it's interesting seeing all these players for the first time and, and even reading up a bit on, on the Isle of Man. And I think this is part of the, the beauty of emerging cricket is just, uh, you know, finding out about all these interesting places that uh, that the game's played around the world. Yeah, and, and universal T20I status as well. More figures for another playing territory, which is which is great to see that, again, a lot of the world probably wouldn't have taken notice of, but there it was up in bright lights on the ICC website and the likes of Crick Info, etc. Nick, I, I want to ask as well, given that one match was a T20 international, the other two weren't, and the reasons for that cited by Guernsey was that it was a chance for both teams to experiment and give more people uh, a go in, in the matches uh, in Guernsey. Do you think they, they found the right balance there or was it more of a case of, well, you know, you've got the opportunity now, let's just have three 2020 internationals and uh, see how we go? Well, I think Isle of Man would have liked to have uh, all three BT20Is, but I can kind of see 
I can kind of see from Guernsey's perspective why they wouldn't do that, you know, with, with the, the ranking points at stake. And Guernsey are not too far off the uh, the 32-team cutoff for the um, for the 50-over leagues. So I can see why they'd be a bit leery about maybe losing points to, to Isle of Man, who I think, are they even ranked? They might not have even played any T20Is to, to get on the, on the rankings. According to the rankings, just having a look now, Nick, looks like they've played four matches to go towards that and they are ranked 67th. Yeah, look, I think... No different to saying, you know, why doesn't Australia play ODIs against England as soon as they land? It's like, well, it's, it's a warm-up game, and it's just that, yes, this has been precious international cricket for them, but it's also precious experience for both sides. So, look, I'm not reading too much into it or getting too emotional about it. It was great to see. Funny enough, there were more people watching the second stream, the non-T20i one, so maybe in retrospect, maybe it was to play the the two non-ones leading up to it, then they could pick their best teams from the squad that had played and, and lead up to a crescendo of viewers, but... Either way, great production, and like you said, it looked like a beautiful field and just a nice little warm sun, but that cool breeze seemed to be blowing a gale across the ground, didn't it? A healthy crowd there too. Both uh, Isle of Man and Guernsey are COVID-free. And looking at at the result on the field, at least in that first match, we saw 11 debutants for Isle of Man for obvious reasons, but Guernsey experimented two with five T20 international debutants. Uh, Matthew Brebin and William Peatfield each having identical figures of 3 for 24 in that T20 International. And looking at Isle of Man, Adam McCauley, well, who was caught in that awkward position of, of opening, batting at the top of the order, but losing players around him. And he was unable to kick on and, and make perhaps a bigger score, knowing that he kind of had to hold the innings together. So good experience for Isle of Man and, and a great series. And looking at some of the underage results too, the Isle of Man with a lot of success from under 13, under 15 and under 17 level. So there is that development coming through there. Some positive signs for Isle of Man. Uh, just a final one, boys, looking at, at potential qualifiers uh, in the future for, for both of these teams. Uh, and it's great that for them, being both COVID-free, there's a chance for these guys to prepare by playing each other on a regular basis. Yeah, I think it's um it, it's interesting you, you talked about um, uh, Macaulay there holding the innings together. You, you might say that uh, the Isle of Man didn't have much of a tail. That's a, a Manx cat joke. <laughs> Oh, dearie me. At least you haven't quoted Gough Whitlam yet. This show is niche enough as it is that we've got, we've taken, you've just taken it to a new level there. Um, yes, but no, I agree. I think it's having these interinsular things, it's, it's another example of, um, you know, regional teams playing each other. And I think that's sort of what the ICC was hoping would happen with the universal status is encouraging these more local rivalries to, to spring up and, and getting more game, you know, more game time for these teams. And I think it's only a good thing. Yeah, we can only hope that that expands more. You know, we saw Germany women tour Oman to get a sort of a cross um, regional um, matches going on there as well. So I remember, you know, with doing a doing a head-to-head across the entire world of T20i cricket and and Jersey being the linchpin of li- trying to to measure all the countries because there just isn't enough cricket that goes outside of the region. So I think you're right, and hopefully that does build within regions, but hopefully we see some some trans-regional uh, matches as well because it's going to be very hard as well if they just uh, only play in the regions and, and only play against each other if they happen to get to a global qualifier, which is only going to happen for 
you know, 10 to 14 teams or even fewer taking into account the, the full members that, that drop back into the global qualifiers. So you don't want to become too regionalised, but I guess that's a little bit more into the future, isn't it? The more and more they can play, the better. But I just hope it doesn't become too siloed. Yeah, great work to everyone involved. And again, well done to, to Guernsey for putting on the series and hosting, I think it was almost 140 people there uh, between players, coaches and parents for some of the underage uh, teams as well. So great job by them. Uh, moving to uh, the motherland, I suppose we can say, uh, and England with the T20 blast around the corner. And we've had some associate member pickups, uh, some Irish pickups as well. Uh, George Munsey, the latest to be picked up by Hampshire in what has to be one of the most overdue T20 signings I think we've seen from an associate point of view. Gareth Delaney heading to Leicestershire, Andrew Balburney heading to Glamorgan. Uh, it'll be a Busy T20 blast. Uh, England still so desperate to, to put on cricket in front of viewers on television. We've just seen them scurry to put together an ODI Super League wedged in between two test series. Uh, but looking at these pickups, all pretty solid. We know Balburnie's role. He can attack and play an anchoring role, even in a T20 sense. Gareth Delaney gives you that dual threat as a leg-spinning all-rounder who hits the ball big. And, well, George Munsey, his strike rate, uh, I think, just speaks for itself. So all three of these pickups, really great. Uh, I suppose the reluctance for associate members in T20 cricket, especially in England, is still prevalent, Nick. But some good signs and and making the most of the opportunity with uh, international travel a little bit more tricky for some of the full members flying into England, perhaps. Yeah, and I think they've um, they've opened up an extra overseas slot as well, so that that certainly helped. Although, yeah, well, I mean we've we've been over it, but the the fact that Irish players are counted as overseas um, seems like a, a violation of UK work law. But you know, well, we'll, we'll leave that for the lawyers. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, yeah, I think you're right in terms of the the reluctance or the just just a bit of hesitance in terms of signing associates. It, it just seems like. You know, you have to do a lot more as an associate than you would as a you know a domestic player in Australia or something to to get a gig. And but you know, hopefully they can they can turn it into you know what, what as, as we talked to Jared Kimber uh, a few episodes ago, he, he sort of made the point that once you're on that T20 franchise league merry-go-round, you, you do tend to get a few more gigs on the back of the first one. So hopefully they they can turn it into something something more because. I mean, honestly, if you're not, if you haven't got George Munsey in your league, what are you doing, really? Yeah, I had hoped with uh, Munsey coming over to Hong Kong to play for Hong Kong Island United in the Blitz, uh, owned by the same group that owns Islamabad United, that that may have been precursor to a breakthrough into the PSL, but that wasn't to be. But yeah, he was smashing the same bowlers around in Canada that. Uh, we're, we're facing and taking wickets against other full members. Well, I say other full members, but uh, full member players. So, look, can only echo your thoughts there. It's a, It's been a long, long time coming. Uh, just hope he uh, takes the opportunity with both hands. And who, who knows? Wouldn't it be great to go watch him in a big bash game? Oh, yes. Look, you know what? I, I, I might, even, if it was a Melbourne team, I might even support a Melbourne team. And yes, I know Sandeep's. I, I know <laughs> Sandeep's down there, but you know, okay, I like like seeing him go well, but the rest of the team go badly. But you know that you know that that would potentially uh, get me get me thinking about it. Well, I was hoping with the T20 World Cup being in Australia this year that someone like George Munsey or Gareth Delaney had a really big tournament and, and one of the T20 one of the big bash teams came and and knocked on his door. And yeah, you're right, uh, Nick, talking about that merry-go-round of T20 franchise cricket, and it's almost harder to to fall off that merry-go-round than it is to jump on, to think that, you know, a team gave Sandeep Lamachane, threw him an opportunity with 
not a whole lot behind him. He played really well uh, internationally for, for Nepal, but it looked as if it was more from a, oh, let's get some Nepali fan engagement. He actually took that opportunity and ran with it. And now we're looking at him in the CPL. We'll talk about the associate players in the CPL a little bit later on. But yeah, it's one of those things. It, it looks as if it's more difficult to, to fall out of favor than it is to, to jump on. I would have loved to have seen... Uh, guys like Mark Watt and Harms and Tahir, two left-arm orthodox spinners breaking things up for, for Scotland. <laughs> Tim Cutler's brothers in the in the spin bowling brotherhood. Uh, but I think this is overall a very positive result. I think looking at Gareth Delaney, I, I absolutely love the way he goes about his business. And he played a little bit in front of the English audience uh, in that ODI Super League. And yes, his batting style, his batting stance is a little bit unusual, but the leverage he has with, with such a high grip on the bat he can hit the ball to the moon if he wants to, and he bowls leg spin, which is, as we know, such a such a valuable weapon to have in a T20 team. Would love to see Callum McLeod hopefully uh, picked up, but yeah, it looks to be too late for that. But yeah, George Munsey, um, he bats as if he's always late for a mate's wedding. Um, he just whacks them <laughs> and, and wants to get going and wants to hit big. Are you recycling and long a joke off Twitter? And Daniel? it's a joy to watch. So we'll be looking forward to it. My, it's my own joke, so it's. Well, no, it's, technically it is still plagiarism. It you, is technical. What? Yeah, <laughs> I, they taught us that at uni. Yes, that is what, still technically plagiarism. Yep. Yes, basically. Well, gee, we're in trouble then, aren't we? The same jokes every week. It's <laughs> <laughs> another film review this week, guys. Um, yeah, no, because it's not, especially in, in academic stuff, because it's not a new independent piece of work. Um, and you're rehashing your own stuff. It's not not seen Good well. Chat. Put it that Niche. way. Anyway, um, <laughs> people would enjoy rambles like oh, this. I'm sure. It's the I know slow a guy with a floral shirt in uh, in the US of A would be loving it. <laughs> I just don't want to say his name because I'm afraid of um, pronouncing it incorrectly. To get back to the um the the point you made about the Super League and and even with the World Cup, you know, just just having those opportunities on a bigger stage. Thinking about um, Balburnie, I think it's no coincidence that he, you know, he smashes a century to to win the game, and then he gets picked up. And same, you know, even thinking back nearly ten years to the 2011 World Cup when Tendiskata had that huge tournament for the Netherlands, bunch of runs, a few centuries. He started getting picked up in a lot more franchise leagues. I know he was already uh, playing for Essex. So I think just the the opportunities to be on that big stage are, are huge for these associate players. And this is a sort of a, a related point is just that's why it's so important to get them into these you know major international events because that it's such a great career opportunity for them and and being able to you know show what they can do can we just get your pronunciation of essex again <laughs> essex oh, essex can you say essex? when when someone does something what for the I first do? time and it's spelled d b u t how do you spell that no so how do you so how do you pronounce that <laughs> oh <laughs> do, well I, yeah, I, I could i honestly i <laughs> Uh, yeah, D- debut, de- debut, de- debut, debut. I don't know, whatever. It's, so. Okay, well, These look. Debut, so my, my excuse for is that it's a, it's a French word, and so it's I, a French word. So it's a French word. So I don't know how you say it in English. So how do, how do so the yeah, French, French say it? You say debut. I would say debut in debut. French, but like debut. it sounds weird to say debut it in stop English, you, right? I'm editing. I'm editing this week, Anna. Yeah, the, the power is in your hands, Pez. Staying in England, and I'm sure you guys saw this as well, it's taken out WhatsApp group chat a buzz as well. Uh, Colin Graves, in in one of the rain delays during 
the Pakistan-England Test Series, made some pretty interesting comments uh, in terms of how the ICC should be funding its members. And it comes with the elections around the corner and perhaps making a play at, at the big job. But it, it seems as if he wants to go out and, and help out the associate members a little bit more. Just to quickly quote what he did say on Sky Sports last week, Quote, I sit on that ICC board at the present time and have done for the last four years and I think the ICC could look at the way that they share the money out from their pot. Because I'm not being unkind, the ECB, BCCI and Cricket Australia are not reliant on the ICC pot. They are reliant on their own pot. And I think that the ICC could recut the pot in a different way with all those countries to make sure that they are all sustainable because we need all those countries sustainable going forward. Every one of them. End of quote. I found this a little bit strange because the the vibe from him and other members of the big three have said basically the opposite of, of what he said in this particular instance. Tim, is this political doublespeak with the uh, election around the corner or do you think he has the game's intentions at heart? Firstly, um, I was intrigued to see how it was reported by some agencies. A Crick Info reported that as him saying he wanted to get more funding to the all of the 12 full members where Ian Ward did note in his question about the media rights deals comparing Australia and England to Pakistan and West Indies, who have both, of course, toured England uh, recently or in Pakistan's case are still there and asking about how the ICC can take a look at the funding model again, also bearing in mind that we want to protect test cricket. He he didn't say only money for test cricketers, uh, sorry, only money for test nations and he, and Colin Graves in his answer was very broad when he said all countries every single one of them not only for members but yeah you know, I found it very intriguing to see it reported as he suddenly was saying that money should be shared out better between all the test nations but is it double speak it sounds like someone who's saying the right things about global cricket um could that change happen if he is made chairman who knows? But the reality is he's been sitting in a very influential chair for four years as the chairman of the ECB on the ICC board, as a member of the, the big three who still get all the, the major events and the second highest funding levels. So it really does make you wonder if it hasn't happened now, how would it happen any differently in the future and why is it being spoken about now? Because global cricket is under... The same pressures, only exacerbated because of the coronavirus, but the same pressures that it, that it has been. Um, and a lot of that is because of the, the, the big three funding and then trying to get out of the big three um, changes to global events and the way that the, the ICC committees are formed. So, look, it sounds good on paper. We caught it. We wrote about it. But, dearie me, it, it seems about four years too, <laughs> too late, doesn't it? I don't, yeah, I, I think... There's a, there's a pretty good case to be cynical about this in, in terms of the timing, but I find it interesting. I always think about this when whenever you see someone from a big three board, especially saying, oh, you know, the ICC should do this or the ICC should do that. Well, Colin Graves especially is in a prime position to make the ICC do that because the ICC doesn't really take decisions independently of the full member boards. And, and so functionally, the ICC is doing what the full members tell it to do. And Colin Graves is one of the most influential full members sitting on the board. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's always a bit strange to see these uh, these full member administrators sort of acting as though the, the ICC is this, uh, you know, distant 
uh, arm's length organization when, when really it's not. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I also think, I think about FIFA and how, you know, someone like Sepp Blatter, you know, let's, let's leave all the corruption allegations to one side, how he managed to build power by, by essentially forming coalitions of, uh, of smaller nations and, and sending money to, to the smaller nations. And I'm just wondering if there's a bit of an echo of that in terms of Graves making these noises about the funding share and um, Dave Cameron, who I don't know if he has the, he doesn't have the support of the West Indies board, but, you know, he was um, out there making comments around the same sort of topic in, in terms of revenue splitting as well. Um, so yeah, election season and, and suddenly people are interested in, um, how the money could be split more fairly. Uh, yeah, I think it's, um, maybe, maybe we're seeing a, a mini FIFA kind of, uh, sucking up to the smaller members. Yeah. FIFA is a strange one, isn't it? Because as you say, there's so much corruption. There has been so much corruption in, in football's governing body, but in terms of its, uh, allocation of money to its smaller members, it, it does seem to do that a little bit better than those in cricket. So I'm very interested to see how this this goes. Um, we're not too sure how the voting is going to work for that election. And yeah, just finally, and I know, Tim, you, you've mentioned it. I think a lot of people have mentioned it, but having Ganguly and Graves both go for that position uh, and both currently leading their respective national governing bodies, it's very tricky. Uh, I think just as humans that you're going from say, yeah, running India or running the ECB to going and running the ICC, I just can't help but think that those, whoever does get the job out of those two, assuming one of those two do, that they will be looking to to float and to prop up uh, their respective countries a little bit more so than everyone else. I'm interested to see how it goes. And yeah, hopefully what uh, Graves has said here is uh, not just him trying to win votes, but rather his uh, ethos for the ICC uh, into the future. We'll have more news in regards to that when we get it on EmergingCricket.com, but some more news that came through our website this week and from Dennis Misali. The Kenyan T20 League, the Simba Premier League, is set to run next month. Uh, there has been a couple of changes to it. It is normally a, a family affair, Nick, uh, but turning it into a, a franchise league due to some, some COVID threats. Again, set to run next month. Um, they've been able to pivot pretty well given the circumstances and hopefully we'll see some uh, international talent, not just from Kenya, but from other parts of Africa as well. Yeah, and I mean, well, <laughs> given Kenya's uh, administrative problems over the last few years, it'll be just it'll be good to see them getting some cricket on the field. But it, it, you know, beyond that, I, I think it's pretty innovative the way they've uh, turned it from it was sort of a uh, family fun day carnival event with with a lot of underage and club teams, and they've switched it to a more sort of semi professional kind of thing um, as a way of reducing the number of people involved, and and because the event had already been sort of set in motion and, and the sponsors had been arranged. And so they've, they've put together a product where it's easier for them to have uh, restrictions around, um, you know, spreading virus, um, spreading the virus and, and making it uh, a more of a, a spectator, you know, TV sort of event. So I think that's quite interesting. Um, getting in Ugandan and Tanzanian players, that's that's also good for the region. You know, we've, we've seen them involved in, in a number of uh, tournaments, cross-border tournaments. And again, this is going back to the uh, the regional situation, so I think it'll be um, good for all the all the teams involved to to have um, that opportunity to play some some decent quality cricket. Bit of a shame there's no Rwandans involved, but um, 
yeah, I think it's a great effort to to salvage something out of um, you know what could have been a, just a complete write off. Yeah, some big names of Kenyan cricket involved. It seems like it's all been run separately to to cricket Kenya, which is probably unsurprising. The current situation there, just hoping that it gives as much chance as possible to to local talent, and also some from from Africa, which it looks like it will, as opposed to some leagues that seem more hell bent in flying in international talent to try and get interest up and running. It looks like they've sold sponsorship and whatnot around the local talent and local talent with overseas experience playing. So hoping it does get off the ground and it'll be good to watch. As I said before, the tournament begins next month, uh, September 10th to the 19th at the Rural Raka Sports Club in Nairobi. From one T20 franchise league to another and the CPL, uh, plenty of associate cricketers in action. We've had uh, Nate Hayes, uh, one of our American reporters in a perfect time zone to report on a lot of the action going on. But I must say, Ali Khan's celebration the other night uh, in taking the wicket of Jonathan Carter woke <laughs> me up. Uh, if you haven't seen it, make sure to, to, to find it somewhere on the internet. Uh, Ali Khan, I think, channeling his uh, WWE Vince McMahon, as uh, Nate put in his report. But some great action over in the Caribbean and some pretty positive results from an associate point of view. Ali Khan again going from strength to strength for TKR. He's been so uh, reliable for them uh, while playing in the, in the CPL, doing magnificently well, not only at the death, but at the top, actually swinging the ball a little bit more as well, which is good to see. Sandeep Lamachani with an economy of uh, well under uh, six runs per over uh, at the time of recording. It was sitting at about 5.08, so magnificent stuff. Um, yeah, and good to see Rashid Khan continue. I know Afghanistan being a full member now, uh, he probably flies uh, away from the emerging cricket nest, but he's just been a revelation as always. And he's teaming up uh, bowling leg breaks with Hayden Walsh Jr., of course, the ex-American international. On the other side of things, uh, hasn't been a great tournament for Nicholas Curtin. I'm sure Nick will have plenty to, to say about that. And Saad Bin Safar hasn't quite... Uh, hit the ground running in his campaign either. First to you, Nick. We saw this curtain at the T20 World Cup qualifier, and we know that, yes, he is a domestic <laughs> player, uh, but he, he struggled for Canada as well, which made us think that, well, he isn't, in fact, really up to the standard of this of this franchise cricket. And we've seen that in a couple of the dismissals. He's been a little bit unlucky, maybe with one of those LBW decisions. He just looks to be out of his depth. Yeah, he's, he's really struggled, and he struggled for Canada. He... <laughs> Yeah, that thirty-seven not out um, in the in the qualifiers really sunk Canada's chances. I mean, you know, you don't want to blame the whole uh, the whole tournament on one guy, but that that was a pretty poor innings, and and he just hasn't really shown much in T Twenty. He's he's done okay for Barbados in the fifty-over format, and I think that's probably his strength um, is when he has a bit more time to settle in and and sort of nudge it around but he just doesn't seem to have the game to to kick on from ball one like you, you pretty much need to in t20 these days uh yeah and i mean i don't know why he's getting selected for t20 he has not shown a lot um even in the in the gt20 uh playing um in in canada he really didn't set the place on fire so i'm not sure who's been watching his games or if anyone's been watching his games or, or or how he manages to keep getting selected but yeah hopefully um he can uh, learn from this he's, he's still quite young i think he's 21 or 22 so you know he, he's got time on his side but yeah at the moment not really up to scratch and, and i hope canada don't keep selecting him just on the basis of oh well he was in the cpl well yeah he was in the cpl but 
he didn't do a whole lot. Um, as for, yeah, Sabin Zafar, he played two games so far, um, did, did okay in one, got smashed to all corners in the other. I don't know. I'm just a bit worried that these associate players get a, a you know a shorter rope in in terms of well, having one bad game and oh well we knew we knew he was no good because he's from Canada. Hopefully that doesn't happen and, and he gets a few more chances. Um, Ali Khan has been amazing and you know I know we talked about it when the when the draft happened but geez TKR got a bargain didn't they oh. two thousand dollars. For, for it's this the best guy. two thousand dollars anyone has ever spent. I think. <laughs> it's just unbelievable, but um, you know, the the one thing you you mentioned his swing and that was impressive. But the fact that he was able to keep a lid on scoring and he he was in that last game against the Tridents, um, he he bowled four overs, none in a row. So he he's been shuffled around a lot and he's managed to keep it tight. You know, every single match, even even that, even then, where he went for one for thirty-two, which is you know not amazing, but it's below the innings run rate, and it's definitely below the target run rate. So he's he's so every time he's bowled, he, he's he's been below the innings run rate. So he's he's managed to keep it tight enough, and that's that's all you need in T Twenty. So I'm yeah, I've been very impressed with Ali Khan. And we talk about him as being an American bowler, but he hasn't made himself available for America since World Cricket League Two, has he? So. How long do we start talking about him as a former American cricketer and then potentially, I don't know, is this someone, is he going to get a knock on the door from Pakistan to, to play for his homeland because he's he's eligible, isn't he? Come to think of it, it's the it's the Hayden Walsh uh, pathway to, to full member cricket. He's done it with the, with the West Indies. And, you know, I'm thinking about it. Pakistan is not short of fast bowling talent, but you could easily, you know, see a case of, of him being picked up and, and at least being given the opportunity in, in a T20 international here or there. So, yeah, it's a great point. Um, we spoke to him briefly at World Cricket League 2 last year. Great guy to, to talk to, very humble, um, works very hard on his bowling and the story of him being plucked from relative obscurity, I think from US Open cricket, you know, he was running a mobile phone shop in Ohio. So it, it's a wonderful uh, associate cricket emergency cricket story that that has come out but yeah again you know to think of how much money Chimbago um, have paid for him in the past what a return of investment and, and DJ Bravo was the the man that, that wanted him in his team at TKR and and the results are, are magnificent um, it's a great point you make Tim um, of course with the rules at the moment uh, the eligibility laws you can go from an associate member to a, a full member providing you're eligible for them straight away with with no waiting period. So that might be something that we'll be talking about in future podcasts. But again, the CPL giving associate players an opportunity to play at the highest level, whether it be from the America's point of view or players like Sandeep doing uh, excellently well. And speaking of Nepal, uh, some news coming out of Cannes this week. Uh, They've gone through two phases of an insurance package for players and staff across the Nepali setup. Uh, 51 players and staff on the men's side of things with 18 women's players uh, given insurance in terms of COVID-19 well-being. Uh, story was reported on by Isaac Lockett on EmergingCricket.com after the press release by Cricket Association of Nepal. And Tim, I'll start with you. You know, looking at, at the way that Nepali cricket has been funded over the years, in in many ways, a lot of it has been actually crowdfunded and fan funded by numerous support groups in the country. But it's a good sign that the uh, governing body can 
with their reinstatement into the ICC, are able to provide and support you know some of their elite players with uh, insurance support just to make sure that they stay afloat in, in a tricky time. We know that that area of the world has been pretty hard hit by COVID. It was a slow burn, but once it got there, it was uh, quite prevalent. But a little bit more of a safeguard for the players who can focus on their on their training and well-being. Yeah, I think we've all been waiting for, for news to come out in Nepal about what is happening from an administrative point of view. They've been reinstated, albeit on a limited basis, with money still filtering through via the ICC and you know, for specific programs. But considering you know the funding from the ICC alone at the level that they're at, you know, they're up approaching $700,000 and more, which goes a long, long way in Nepal. So I just hope that enough money is getting where it needs to. And I saw it mentioned that the, the women's team is a little bit further down the line. That, Like you said, it's a start and good to see things moving. But I think there's still a lot of positive movement required from, from a Nepal cricket point of view until we, we see them at where they, where they should be um, in, in associate and even, you know, in global cricket. Yeah, it's, it's good that they're looking after their players like that it's sort of it's an interesting point about what the role of a board is in terms of the the i guess personal well-being of of its players obviously um the richer boards pay for a lot of stuff in 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 terms of medical bills for their players but a lot of the time the you know the, the associate boards can't necessarily afford to do that so it's interesting to see nepal as you say um you know us dollars go a long way in nepal so so they can probably afford to do it but yeah it's it's interesting to see nepal um, or an associate board taking a, a, a sort of um, approach that is often seen in, in full member boards. It was a strange one, phase two, with the women's side of things coming out, uh, I think within 24 hours of, of phase one. So it makes you wonder why they didn't just roll everything out at the same time. Uh, but yeah, looking at, at the way that you know the Nepali sporting economy has worked, and I, and I read um, an interview from Amir Akhtar, who is running the Everest Premier League, and he's talked about the idea that that sport in Nepal needs to be a little bit more industrialized and commercialized, where they can really profit from all the elite sporting talent they do have in the country. And you have to think that. Nepali cricket is the 15th best international country in the world at present. I know the rankings might not suggest that, but the way that those players are revered and respected in the in the community, they definitely deserve uh, a little bit more from from their country in terms of remuneration and, and and payments and stuff like that. So we're hoping to see things brought into into the modern phase a little bit in terms of Nepali professional sport and hoping that those guys can well and truly create a niche for themselves and a career for themselves in cricket because you know those guys are rock stars in Nepal and the women's team too with the with the women's champions league that they've had over the last 12 months so there's a lot going on in Nepal and and everything is very hastily put together but once they get things right that they might be unstoppable in the associate world so I think this is a a good story for them and uh, I think we'll see some more positive news for, for Nepal in the coming months and years. Some more news, and firstly to the ICC Challenge League and Group A's rescheduled series from the 30th of September to the 10th of October has been postponed once again. According to ICC Head of Events Chris Tetley, the governing body will cooperate with hosts and participating members to find a window for play for the 2023 qualification fixtures. Canada currently lead in Group A on net run rate over Singapore, with Malaysia, Qatar, Denmark and Vanuatu all behind. 
To PNG and Asad Vala has taken a hat-trick in their domestic competition with teammate John Raver picking up 4 for 23 as the Isuzu PNG black side successfully defended 119 against PNG yellow this week. The CPNG women's T20 smash has also restarted following a brief COVID scare in the country. To minor league cricket in the USA and the draft for several regions has taken place. For more, here's Nate Hayes. 15 of the 24 minor league cricket franchises drafted teams last weekend. This coming after a busy week where USA Cricket announced franchise names and owners, and also the new committee structure. Teams were permitted to sign nine players ahead of the draft, including three professionals, three U21, and three amateurs. Among the professionals could be one overseas player, this slot designated as wildcard player. Three franchises will be permitted to select teams from their designated region unopposed, and three more will draft from their respective regions in early September. The drafts were broken down into regional subdrafts in part to minimize the burden of travel on the players. They were conducted in snake order until each team had 18 players. Left-arm Orthodox all-rounder Karim Agor was taken with the first overall pick by the Philadelphians and expressed optimism about the consolidation of talent in the country. All told, roughly a quarter of the league's 270 players taken so far have played first class, list A, international U19, international men's, or professional T20 cricket. The league plans some conference exhibition games for mid-September following the conclusion of CPL. Tanvir Ahmed, majority owner of Houston and Austin teams and minority owner of Orlando, explained the plan for quarantine for his three CPL players flying back from Trinidad. Players arriving from overseas will be tested pre- and post-flight. They will quarantine for four days and then test again before they're permitted to play. The cricket community in the USA has been a buzz on Facebook following three major announcements within an eight-day span, with some perceiving a lack of transparency from USA cricket leadership. To their credit, board members have engaged these questions on the same forum. Suspicions are to be expected in a nation with a cricketing history such as USA, and growing pains shouldn't surprise when creating a centralized structure. One can hope for open dialogue in such cases. Nate Hayes reporting from the USA. Well, coming soon here at Emerging Cricket, we're taking a look back to Namibia's 2003 World Cup campaign in a four-part audio special. Here's a sneak peek of part one, with Nick talking to several members of the Namibian camp who curiously found extra motivation through a hotel room bungle during their stay at the 2001 ICC Trophy in Canada. As momentum grew on the field, so too did motivation off it, with Namibia determined to keep extending their stay in Canada, defying their ranking from the previous event and the apparent expectations of the tournament organisers. Just to give you a little bit of background on the, on the team spirit that was developing in the team, we got into a situation where I think it was probably three times during the tournament we'd come home after a game in the evening. And obviously ICC had made their predictions of you know, what teams were going to progress, etc. And at least on three occasions we'd come home to the hotel in the evenings only to find that our room keys, um, you know, the access where the room keys had been cancelled. And when the manager went down to reception to check what had happened, we'd actually been booked out of the hotel simply because whoever had made the bookings had predicted that by then Namibia would be out and on their way home. The team manager at the event, Francois Erasmus, recalls the incident well. I can so clearly remember when, after the first round, when our guys got back to the hotel having won every match until then, the electronic keys were not functioning. And everybody ran back to the manager and I ran back to the reception saying, there's a problem, can we please have these keys replaced? And we were told, but your rooms were cancelled because you were basically, you are heading home tonight on the first flight out. I said, why? Because now you would, you and the other teams not qualifying for the Super 8 stage would be off tonight. And I said, but you may have done well to look at the log 
because we are in fact in the Super 8 and we need our rooms for a while further. And it was just, I think, typical of the situation which we found ourselves in as Namibia at that stage. We haven't probably deserved to have any better reputation in the international cricket world at that stage because we had lost on occasions where we were ranked to win but didn't perform. As well as their accommodation, the team also found themselves motivated by the transport at the event. It happened about three times and things like that became major motivation for the team. Another issue was the team buses, <laughs> where originally all the teams were traveling in uh, the normal yellow school buses that you find in the, in the States and in Canada. And I, I seem to recall that maybe some of the top teams were actually traveling in proper luxury coaches. And that became one of the motivations for the guys was to say, you know, we want to travel in one of those coaches to the games, which eventually happened. When we all walked down the first morning of the first match, every team had its yellow school bus. And the transport manager got onto every bus and told us and probably all the other teams, he said, listen, this is where you're going to start, in this yellow school bus, and you're going to hop along to the municipal grounds where you will be playing. But I promise you, reach the top eight and you'll get a proper air-conditioned bus. And he said, added to that, Get to the semi-finals and the final, and I promise you a bus which will have air conditioning, TV, and fridges with cold water and juice in for you. And for the first six or seven or eight games, we traveled in the yellow school bus to every venue and reached the top eight or the super eight stage, received our air-conditioned bus with ample space and ample packing and storage space for all the kids and eventually received our bus with a TV and little fridges in for drinks when we reached the final against the Netherlands. So that in itself was like, you know, managing your progress by way of the quality of your transport. It was simply magnificent to see also in that how the players grew in stature, you know, taking off that morning on the way to the semi-final or to the quarterfinals in a Super 8 stage. It was as if they had grown quite a bit from two or three weeks before that when we arrived in Toronto. Yeah, we'd worked our way out of um, being booked out of the hotel every second day and out of the school buses into the proper coaches. So by the time we got to games like Canada and those sort of games, there was actually no pressure on us. We, I genuinely recall that we felt no pressure. We just... We were just enjoying it and we'd found ways of motivating ourselves just to say, listen, we're here and we've got our own motivation for carrying on. To help feel comfortable during a three-week campaign on the other side of the world, the Namibians brought a little slice of home to their hotel room on the advice of a man who would come to be revered in associate cricket circles. We set up a team room in the hotel in Canada, mostly on the advice of Bob Woolmer, who I, I sat for hours and who gave me advice on what it would take for us as a bunch of total amateurs. And Bob gave very, very helpful and solid tips. So we set up this team room in Toronto in our hotel. And um, in that team room, we, we did what we, as we were at home. Bob advised us and we did bring to Toronto our own brand of coffee, which we liked, the brand of tea, which the guys drank back home, the jelly babies for energy, which they were used to, the music, which the guys knew and were comfortable with, and everything like that, magazines from home. We set up a a laptop and every player could come and sit in that lounge area and send emails in reply to the thousands of emails we got from back home. 
That's everything in the Emerging game this week. Make sure to subscribe to the Emerging Cricket Podcast if you haven't done so already so you can tune in as soon as it drops. Pass the pot around and make sure to give us a five-star review. If you want to support us financially, go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Emerging Cricket where you can support us from as little as $2 US a month. You'll get access to extended cuts of a number of our podcasts and you'll also have a say on the show's direction. For now, on behalf of Nick Skinner, Tim Carlo, and myself, Daniel Beswick, see you next week.